Hi everyone! Today it's Susanna and Christian. We don't have Diana today because she has life stuff going on. Today we're mixing it up and having Christian join us who is really amazing and um, if you haven't heard his episode because you actually started off as a guest. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 But uh, you are on the other side now. So we're, we're not talking about you. We're talking about Lynn and Tony. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're super excited. Um, and uh, well, Christian, do you want to go ahead and introduce them? Yes. Um, it's, I'm really excited to be here and to be part of the episode today, and especially be with here with Lynn and Tony, who I've known for a while, you know, internet friends, and it's just really incredible work that they do. Um, and I'm super excited to bring them into the podcast to like share their work, their perspectives, all the work that they do. Um, and yeah, so here are Lynn and Tony from Plastic Free Co. On, from Canada and Toronto. Okay? Yay! And I'll let me just do a short bio so people have uh, an idea of who Plastic Free is. It Toronto or Toe? Pa plastic Free Two. Plastic Pro. Plastic Free T O. <laughs> oh, okay. Plastic Free T O. T O. standing for Toronto. So, yes. Plastic Free Toronto is a community group founded by sister duo Lynn and Tony Sapong. Did I say that right? Totally. Lynn and Tony Sapong. Okay. What started as a hub for sharing tips on low waste living has turned into a movement of Torontonians interested in learning more about climate change, social and environmental justice, and the broader topic of sustainability. By day, Lynn works as an actor slash model, and Tony works as a family doctor. Plastic Free Toronto is most known for Sweet Potato Politics, a series aimed at making political discussions less intimidating by gathering around a meal to discuss current events in a friendly, non-judgmental space, and We Salation, a series of skills-sharing videos designed to make low-waste living more approachable. So yay, thank you, Lynn and Tony, for being here. And um, I would love to know how to be part of that We Salation. Uh, so much fun. fun. <laughs> I joined. <laughs> We did hair math. It was the best. <laughs> Speaking of, Christian, your hair looks fabulous. Thank it's you. Thank you. I have been really doing a lot of work on taking care of it now. Since the since the we since the isolation, I've really just been like, okay, like how can I like better take care of myself? Why I keep I keep doing the hair mask and all Wait, the is that where you learn to do the hair mask and the, yes, the with the right. t-shirt that... and everything? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. Lynn Tony, he came in a meeting once. <laughs> he had this whole setup and I was like, what's going on with your hair? <laughs> Oh, good. That's amazing. I've honestly learned, like, I all of the things that we learned in the Resolation episodes, because a lot of them weren't hosted by us, I've, I keep using them now, and I'm like, this is so handy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should do more. We should do more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll invite you, Susanna, so you can come join the fun. Okay, now I'm making these connections. Yeah, Christian was all about his hair, like, you know, making it glow, making it look nice. <laughs> Where <laughs> you learned it from. <laughs> What else does one have to do during quarantine other than look beautiful? Yes, yeah. what I've decided. Um, so you do a lot um, outside of your professional lives. Um, you have this organization called Plastic Free Toronto, um, and it works in the space of environmental justice. But you know, for the purpose of kind of taking a step back, you know, what kind of work do you do? And and you know, and specifically, because I I saw on your Instagram about plastic pollution. Um, and so yeah, just kind of integrating all those three things together. Talk, tell me a little bit about environmental justice. 
So just to give you like the sort of rundown and make it make sense, I think it helps to understand the journey of like how we started this. And basically I watched a documentary called Plastic Ocean and that kind of opened my eyes to like the real effects that plastic pollution has that I never really thought about before. And it's something that like once you know, it's so simple and it makes so much sense to just reduce it. But before you know that it's everywhere and it's just so normalized that you don't realize the impact it could have. So we started by just deciding we were going to go plastic free for 30 days. And that journey, we were like, we should share this journey and maybe other people are going through the same journey and we can like learn online. So it was like a very small community based initiative to just reduce our own plastic consumption. But through that, as we kept learning and sort of just realizing the impact of more of our actions, not just our plastic consumption, but like the clothing we buy, everything, the food we consume, um, all of it really opened up the broader scope of making good decisions isn't just about reducing your impact. It's more so about understanding the impact that your decisions have on other communities. And that's sort of where environmental justice came in. So that's kind of when we realized that all of there's so many issues that are interconnected and we can't solve one issue in isolation without looking at the broader picture. So our mission then became to educate ourselves and other people about these different issues, how they connect and just make it accessible to people. So things that people might not think about every day, things that people might not know about, just sort of take that information and you know, put it out in a way that's fun, in a way that's engaging, in a way that leads them to tangible action steps. Um, um, I suppose in terms of the environmental justice piece, it wasn't something before we went plastic free that I had spent all that much time thinking about or that I knew that much about. And so as we went along this plastic journey and sort of realized, you know, the impacts of plastic production, for instance, on different communities and what that looks like and in terms of who's, you know, exposed to the toxic chemicals that get emitted as that process happens, it was like, oh yeah, of course this is, you know, there's racism issues, there's class issues, there's, you know, capitalism issues, all of these things that are coming into the, the very act of making making the plastic. And then it was like, oh, this is so much bigger than us needing to, you know, swap some things out of our lives so that we have less plastic. There's just so much more to think about. And where does our plastic end up? And does recycling even work? And where is it being recycled? And all of those sorts of questions just, you know, and the more you know, the more you know, but also the, the more complex you realize everything is. And so for us, it just became like a fairly obvious step to then educate around all of the intersections of these different issues, because they are all connected. And as Lynn said, without understanding the full picture, I don't think we can really, really tackle them. Because like all the swapping in the world is not going to solve our plastic crisis. You can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, because I feel like um, with buzzwords like sustainability, reducing waste, zero waste, all those things, there's so what I'm trying to say is this is difficult because like you said, it's very complex. There's a lot of different intersecting areas. It's not just about swapping things or reusing things or recycling things. Like there's a lot that comes with the decisions and how we use. So then how do you, how do you break that down for people who want to go into this journey? And, um, you know, kind of like you, you both, you started off saying like, let's just do this for 30 days and see where it takes us. And it kind of took you on this very vast journey. But, you know, for people who are kind of on that beginning end of the 30 days where they're like, I kind of want to start reducing waste, or I kind of want to start being more sustainable, or, um, you know, and they're kind of in that space, how, how do we make it less intimidating? 
without watering down the complexity of all of this? So we have something called the sustainability tree, which we uh, made up. <laughs> We've made up a lot of things. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way to go. I love a good analogy. <laughs> and it just really like helped me to understand, like once the issues got so big that I was like, I don't even know what to do with my life. <laughs> but I was like, okay, how do I really think about this? How can we think about this in a way that's not overwhelming? And so what the sustainability tree is, it's sort of like, everyone has their own tree um, and it starts from the roots grows up and obviously you have many branches um, and so when it comes to taking action on any issue um, the roots and the trunk is basically building awareness of the issue understanding what your values are understanding what your privilege and access are and then from there once you have a good foundation figuring out which branches you would like to start growing and you can do all of them at once you can take one and not the other basically there's two main branches that i've sort of classified that sounds so official it's not that official <laughs> but there's two main branches that i've identified and one of those is like actions that lead towards systemic change and that is you know calling politicians joining different community organizations that are working for justice in different areas supporting legal battles of first nations communities etc there's so many that basically actions that will lead to systems change. And then on the other aspect of it, there's the sort of more individualistic actions that people often write off because they're like, oh, whatever, if I don't use this plastic bottle, someone else is just going to buy it anyway. Or, oh, what does my plastic cutlery make a difference to? Nothing. But I completely disagree with that. And I think that all of those individual actions lead to culture change. And we've seen that in Toronto by more people caring about their plastic consumption and talking to businesses to be like, can I use my container here? Can you just fill it up for me? There's so many different programs that are now popped up of reusable takeaway systems. There's so many different businesses that are now reaching out to be like, okay, so how can we fix this environmental impact? So all of those smaller choices lead towards like a culture change of, you know, the population. And both of those types of actions are equally valid, equally necessary. And, you know, no matter what, like one person might not think they're doing the most in terms of their plastic consumption because they're still using a lot whatever but they could be you know fighting for food justice or i don't even know but there's so many different actions that you can take and they're all valid so it's really to show that no matter which action you're taking as long as you are constantly remaining aware and conscientious of your choices and you know attempting to have a positive impact on the people around you even if it's just your family all of that matters and we have multiple trees that need to grow in order to create a beautiful forest so they don't all need to look the same you gotta make christian cry yo for real <laughs> <laughs> like i'm gonna quote this in the future it's just like there's so many trees really that need to be graphic we did a whole series called plastic freedom and it, it was, was a three-part series that could have gone on for 10 parts to be honest because yeah. tackled basically like the plastic crisis but from every angle you could think of and we never really like shared that information publicly but i'm really real starting lazy, to think we're we going should. to <laughs> yeah. you've decided in this moment that you're going to it share is time <laughs> i need i need all the help i can get with instagram posting these days so yeah <laughs> i could only imagine i had a, like a follow-up on that is that um thank you for explaining that because it's really like you know like a lot of the times individual actions are really like shunned down and like you know just put aside because they don't really create the systemic change that we're supposed to like that we want eventually but the way that you put it down it makes absolutely sense and it's so valid to have both things going out at the same time what i wanted to ask y'all is like how um 
like with the sustainability program that you were just mentioning, um, what is like the scope of work that you're thinking of doing in regards to like like community um, and like which communities you're gonna like try educate and like share these resources with? Because I feel like sometimes when there's like a, a lot of like grassroots effort, right? Like I think focusing on educating close by communities as opposed to like like larger communities. What I'm trying to say is like, how are you planning to go with this uh, sustainability like idea, like program that you had in mind for like your communities? Yeah, fair. Good question. I'm not sure we have a super coherent answer to that question. We take opportunities where they come up in terms of our target audience. I mean, Plastic Freedom, for instance, was open to everyone. And like there was a, a range of people who showed up, which was fantastic, mostly through social media is how they found out about it. And then, I don't know, as we've gone along, there's been a lot of opportunities like to talk with school groups, to talk with more. Most recently, we talked with um, uh, an IT company, an IT company. That's what they were. Yeah, which yeah. was super you know, like 200 people across North America who are like super IT who came to a talk on intersectional environmentalism. It was fantastic. And I was just like, this is so fun. Um, and I, and I guess like the main thing is our goal is just to bring that awareness piece of the intersectionality of all of these things. Because I think like to Lynn's point, it doesn't really matter. I, I've, I've, moved away from caring what it is people are doing specifically to caring more about how they're orienting their intentions and then their actions as well. So at the end of the day, honestly, I want to talk to everyone. <laughs> that would be delightful. I'd say we are getting more and more opportunities to do so, which is fantastic. I was just asked by my work, actually, um, and I work as a family doctor in the shelter system. Um, and that organization is actually quite large. They're in most of the shelters in Toronto. So, you know, there's many opportunities. Anyway, they're looking at reducing their environmental impact, which is fantastic in terms of medical waste. And so they've asked me to sort of help them start to think about that and so we're going to do a talk and i'm very excited for that so mm -hmm. you know take the opportunity we live in very different spaces she does the model yeah, i was going to say we're also part of the canadian green alliance which is doing some great oh, yeah, work to try and quote unquote i hate to use this word but like green the theater industry um and make people more aware and give them the tools and resources to you know produce shows more sustainably it's amazing. wow so we've been partnering with them to you know bring that to fruition, which, you know, is a huge undertaking. So true. But I would say, to be honest, COVID has changed the way we interact and sort of the way we endeavor to reach people. Um, before COVID, we were doing things like it was much more community based, like we were meeting people literally like who lived in our neighborhood, they would come over to our house, like we'd have like 10 people over at a time, random strangers, we best. would share meals, we would watch documentaries, like it was very it was cool so to connect to the people around us in such like a tangible, cool way. And since things have moved online, there's still a lot of that, but we've also been able to sort of, I guess, broaden our scope yeah. and connect with more people. Like Christian, you are not in Canada and like we are now good friends, which is amazing. And that's only because of online. So yeah. I think through the online, like more opportunities to speak to more diverse groups are opening up, but keeping that in mind, like we have not really targeted specific communities yeah. like tangibly like around us yet. And maybe that's something that we could think about doing. Fair. Yeah, I don't know. People keep asking us to do things. We should just do more things. <laughs> yeah, but you know what it is? It's a it's a balancing act. It's a, it's, it's just, it's a, just um, like, I, I feel so overwhelmed this month because, well, actually, April just killed me, basically. <laughs> Same. Me, yeah, destroyed me. Plus, we moved. Plus, I got Ooh. a new bunny. Plus, like, my work life Aww. was crazy. And I was shooting, like, in different places all over the... <laughs> it's been a lot. So I'm just like, <laughs> okay, and plastic-free. Let's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> 
balance is key. Balance is key. <laughs> balance is key. Yeah. And also sustainability in your own life is key because, you know, getting burnt out is not actually the answer either. So yeah. And that's actually part of our sustainable. Wow. That's actually part of our sustainability tree. Because the very definition of sustainable is it's just, but it's also sustainable for you. The mm-hmm. actions that you can sustain over a period of time. Yeah. And I think it's actually really interesting. Like, I think the longer I do this and the more I spend time in other spaces working on self-development, it's become very apparent to me like that we are very much, you know, nature-based individuals and creatures and part of the world. And this is going to sound really obvious, but I feel like the healthier we are, the healthier the world is, frankly. And I don't think we spend enough time really focusing on that. But I was listening to, there was a food summit that was recently on where they were talking about how essentially the mass extinction that's happening in the world is also happening at our microbiome gut level in terms of like the amount of, you know, species of parasites and bacteria and fungi and all these things that we should have in our guts that we don't because of the way we're eating is largely very unhealthy. And like that unhealthy food is like, it's killing us and it's also killing the world, you know, like it's just, we are, we are the world, the world is us. I think the healthier we are, the healthier everything's going to be. So I think really taking that time and just that commitment to yourself is is not wrong. It feels sometimes a little bit wrong where you're like, I just, there's so many things I should be doing. But honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I feel like healthcare is, is world care. Mm, you can say that again. Our health and our like liberation is so intertwined with the health, the liberation of the land and the planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was also really interesting because they were talking about how essentially like even our our neurological capacity to be able to hold empathy and to relate to others has been negatively impacted by essentially the way we're eating. It was fascinating. And just, and just that, like the healthier we're eating, the more real we can be with others, you know, like having compassion for, you know, communities impacted by, you know, the plastic crisis, for instance, is so key to being able to solve that crisis, right? Without that empathy piece, nothing is going to get done. But if we can't even get there because, you know, we're just so unwell in every way, it's just my mind was just like whoa i think exploring our relationship to food and exploring where we get our food how food grows and really connecting back to the basics like as human beings all we actually really need food water shelter clean air community mm. yeah i mean so you know all all of these things that we've created in our lifestyles that we you know, prioritize and that we work hard towards and all of that. Like, it, I don't think it's easy to support the things we've created without maybe reconnecting back to the basics. How to do that? I do not have an answer. <laughs> but from all the talks I've listened to, I feel like food is a very good entry point into learning how to operate differently and be in the world differently. So I really like, I totally agree with that. Like reconnecting with uh, the land is the first step and and since we're at the topic of health um i think we can uh like circle around to the next question um there's a lot of intersections right with like plastic being a global issue not just like a like a local issue um could you talk about how the consumption and disposal of plastics from the global north which is you know industrial countries affect the health and livelihoods of communities in the global south as well as low wealth communities here in um, Turtle Island or in other places in the global north. Yeah, I mean, this is such a huge, huge topic that it's almost overwhelming to even begin to think about. But yeah, so like you can start at the beginning of the process, for instance, 
in Canada, 50% of our oil, which is what plastic is made out of, is refined in a community called Amshanong, which is uh, a remote First Nations. It's not even that remote. It's near Sarnia, which is not actually, it's like two hours from where I currently live. Most people have never heard of it, but basically it's a First Nations community and, you know, 25 different petrochemical processing plants moved in around them without their consent, obviously. And that is where 50% of our or petrochemicals are refined now. And so if you look at the health of that community, um, like their life expectancy is lower than the average Canadian by a large margin, their cancer rates are, you know, triple what they are in you know, the rest of Canada. They have a stillbirth rate that's twice what it should be. Like all of these massive health impacts, simply because they're surrounded by so much environmental pollution and toxins that are being released as they're making plastics. And it's just, it's so wrong. And and there's been so much resistance at the government level to sort of put in the regulations. I don't even know if you can put in enough regulations to make that any healthier, to be honest, at the point where there's 25 different petrochemical plants and, you know, a very small radius. I doubt it. But all that to say something obviously needs to be done. Um, it's just a huge injustice in every in every direction. And then, you know, if you look at that's like the beginning of plastics life. And then, you know, if you come to the end of plastics life. I'm sure you've heard these statistics, but basically like 9% of our plastic is recycled. The rest of it ends up in various other places, none of which are good places to end up. Um, landfills, which honestly, probably of all the other options of where plastic could end up is maybe not the worst one. Um, but if you look at where our landfills are, again, like those are tend to be next to low income communities. They tend to be near our First Nations reserves in Canada, probably also in the United States. And again, like, there's all sorts of toxins that come out of landfills. So there's, again, that aspect. And then you look further and there's other issues around, you know, recycling not really working, obviously, because only 9% is recycled, but the parts that aren't recycled end up overseas under the guise of being recycled. That's how we sell it. But really, like we ship them to other countries in the global south. Canada's waste goes all over the place, Malaysia, the Philippines, Indonesia, like it's it's literally everywhere. And we sell it to these countries. We sell it? We sell it to mm -hmm. these countries. Maybe I'll let Lynn explain that process because it's actually quite interesting. So from my very basic understanding from the articles that I read, basically we we sell it here to brokers. So, you know, a recycling facility here might be like, okay, we have some plastic, we don't know what to do with it, whatever. A broker comes in, it's like, oh, I'll buy it for you from you for like i don't know 100 200 so they take a whole bunch of plastic they then sell it overseas to companies that want to make it into pellets and then those companies hope to sell those you know plastic pellets to companies that will then use those plastic pellets to make new products so you know in theory something that should be full cycle but doesn't end up being full cycle because the countries overseas a are overwhelmed with all of the waste that we're shipping them they're frequently shipping it back to us because it is waste um yeah, they don't, don't do have the infrastructure of collection and management that we have here so we're shipping it to countries like philippines vietnam malaysia cambodia turkey but Whereas, for example, in Toronto, a garbage truck goes to the landfill every 10 minutes from all over the city. Every 10 minutes, there's one garbage truck arriving with waste. Places like the Philippines, Manila, it's like one an hour, maybe, for the whole city. So it's basically in their environment. People are living in garbage. And, you know, when there are recycling facilities, that's a whole bunch more toxins that are being released in the melting and the processing of those chemicals it's leaching into water, it's destroying rivers, people are 
basically picking garbage because they cannot fish anymore and make a living. So they're like, let me try and pick some usable pieces of plastic that a recycle a recycler will then buy and give me, you know, a dollar a day to feed my family. It's insane. And we've basically turned a blind eye because if you look at the countries producing the most waste, it is the global north for sure. And there's, you know, there's so many different levels of this because don't don't get me started on like the plastics industries and the companies who started marketing sachets to low income individuals overseas because they're like, oh, you okay? So, so I'll I'll just use an example (laughs) of like Cape Town. Okay, so I was in Cape Town for quite a few months. And I noticed like in their convenience stores, you can buy things individually. So like you can do like eggs instead of like buying a whole 12 or six eggs, you can literally just buy one instead of buying like whatever it is, you can just buy one. And I was like, why is this? And I'm like, oh, because people can't afford anything because people are poor. Right, right. They need to buy smaller amounts in like the 80s or early 90s, you know, plastics corporations and you know, people, L'Oreal, Coca-Cola, all these people caught on to this and they're like, you know what we can do? we can create tiny little non-recyclable sachets to put little shampoos, little soaps. We'll call this saving the world because hygiene, we're providing them with affordable hygiene. But so, you know, they sell for very cheap because it's this tiny little, almost like a hotel size shampoo. And then of course they marketed it to us as a hotel size shampoo that we don't need. (laughs) But anyways... (laughs) Oh, so they're just like, it's just the plastic overseas in the global South. It's, it's, it's overflowing. And the, I will never forget reading an article where they had interviewed people. I think it was in Vietnam who were in like one of the main plastic recycling hubs. And basically they live in garbage. They didn't even realize that this trash was not produced by their own country. They thought they were living in the garbage of their own country, but like many studies have now shown that like when you analyze where this plastic is coming from and like when they do cleanups and they figure out what plastic is showing up in the landfills, all of it is global North plastic. It's devastating. So, you know, Mm. the issues are just profound. (laughs) So many issues. I'm not laughing because this is funny. It's just, if you could see Lynn while she's saying this, she's like (laughs) vibrating. Yes. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating to me that we don't have better solutions at this point. I, I keep thinking because I, I know very little about the history of plastics. Like, right. Like who was the first, I assume man who was like, let's create the goodness world. Yeah. Oh, right. And um, I can tell you it's great. Yeah. They actually literally wanted to find something that wasn't ivory to make to pool make- balls mm-hmm. out of. And so a white dude came up with the idea of using plastic to make their very important pool balls. And that's where that came from. I see. I mean, good on the ivory. We didn't need that. Uh, yeah, either, I mean, but... like killing us for our pool games either. It's just, you know, did we need this problem to exist? But, you know. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because I, um, so when the whole like plastic straw ban and metal straws or paper straws, you know, people were advocating for that. I feel like I saw something in the um, disability community where they were saying that things like metal straws aren't great for them. And um, I assume this conversation was just kind of like this toxic part of of sustainability where the nuances are lost and they're just kind of pushing these like, this is a sustainable solution. And so the reason I bring that as an example is because I, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm able, I don't have a lot of like specific needs. And so I could probably live 
and make choices that are plastic free and not have like a detriment to my physical health, right? But I don't know if that's true for other folks who, for whatever reason, plastic is illegitimately like a solution for them that is whether economically more helpful for them at the moment or physically it's just more useful. I don't know. With that being said, you know, is plastic evil or do we need to kind of take a step back and say, is plastic really the issue or is it the people who are controlling plastics and controlling the industry around it the issue or is it both? Plastics are not evil. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to feel where they're very necessary for mm-hmm. something. Um, you know, specifically around the straw issue, like, yeah, like sterilization of other materials is very difficult, which depending on what physical disability you might have might not be a viable option. There's also like the considerations around access. And this is I, this is the importance of an intersectional framework, right? Whenever you are approaching something, because without mm-hmm. it, you make these sorts of errors where you're just like, how did we leave out this entire community from our mm-hmm. from our thought process? We didn't maybe need to do that. For instance, like we in Canada, they're going to ban some plastic things. And it would be really nice. And this is a caveat here. If they could ban plastic water bottles, like that would be great. Except, except that you have to consider that there are communities in this country who do not actually have safe drinking water. And therefore they rely on these plastic water bottles. So it's all nice and well for me to say in my comfy Toronto home where fresh water comes out of my tap to be like, ah, yes, we should probably ban these. It's not to say we shouldn't ban them, right? Like there is a huge impact of plastic water bottles. Should water be bottled as a commodity? I would argue it really should not because that's a basic human necessity. Um, But we can't just do these things without considering all of the communities who are going to be impacted and without considering the fact that we have built societies structures that have led to all of these inequities that therefore create needs that we are not solving in any other way, right? We are not putting in the infrastructure that is going to allow them to have safe drinking water at this point. And so the argument should not then be, is plastic evil and should we ban it? The argument is like, why don't these people have clean water and why aren't we doing something about it now? Right? Like, it's just, it's a different conversation. It's a broader conversation. Now, how does that, how does that map onto the concept of zero waste? <laughs> <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't know how it maps onto the concept of zero waste as it's been marketed to the general public and is, you know, if you are generally affluent. But what I am seeing is that people in the zero waste community are talking more about the intersectionality of things, maybe because, you know, I give a lot of, what's that, props, kudos to the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that sort of happened over the summer that brought to light a lot of injustice and kind of made people be like, ah, injustice is a thing in the world. And that made people start listening to different voices. Oh, wait, perhaps I should be listening to some people of color. This is a great thing. And because of this, I think, you know, it's given a slight, there's been a slight uptake of voices of people of color in that largely, I would say more white affluent zero waste movement. I'm trying to call it something else, but I really don't know what else to call it. It's just that that's what it is. So that being said, so in in the broader scope of like the very buzzword term zero waste, I think slowly these discussions are starting to pop up and people are starting to think more broadly about different issues, including their zero waste lifestyles, um, which is great. But on the other hand, zero waste is not a solution. Zero waste is not a solution. Mm -hmm. It is a mechanism of action. 
It is mm -hmm. a framework. And if you, maybe this is idealistic, maybe this is what I want it to be. But what I want zero waste to be <laughs> is that connection point that allows you to think, okay, what do I have? Like I said, this goes back to the sustainability tree. What do I have control over in my life? What do I care about in my life? What access do I have? What privilege do I have? And what can I do with all of these factors combined? And how can I keep increasing my awareness to make sure that whatever actions I'm taking, whether it's being part of this zero waste movement that does not necessarily need to be zero waste at all or something else. So for me, zero waste is not meant to be a solution. It's meant to be a tool for action and maybe in the broader search of justice. Yes, that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe for a lot of people who live in the global north, like myself, it's a very easy entryway into starting to think about these issues because it is something that a lot of us over. have the privilege to control in some ways, maybe not in all ways, but in some ways, a lot of us do have that privilege to control it. So you know, I remember myself when we first started, this was the tipping point. Like I'd always cared about the environment. I'd always been like, I should do something. I should, whatever it was, I should drive less. I should fly less. But none of those actions actually coincided with my lifestyle. I work, like I, I work as a model. I act, I get flown to places in a week. They'll be like, you're going here next week. And I'll be like, yes, I am. Because I would like that paycheck. Thank you very much. <laughs> and like, so I'm not going to fly less, to be honest. And that's just something I've had to come to terms with and, you know, right. find other ways. So plastic for me was that one thing that was like, oh, this is something that I can do. This is accessible. This is a small thing. This, you know, it's everywhere. It's in my bathroom. It's in everything I eat. It's literally everywhere. So I find that it's, it's in clothes. So like there's no matter what you do in the global north, it will have plastic at some point, <laughs> which gives you many entry points into trying to change your mindset. And mm. that mindset shift is all you need in order to start making changes in other aspects of your life. So yeah, in summary, zero waste, not a solution, just... <laughs> an entry point a tool it should be it should be an entry point into community which i think it is which i think is helpful i will say that mm -hmm. to its credit right like it is it is wonderful to be part of a community <laughs> and then from there the other question always becomes and what do we do next right mm -hmm. it should mm -hmm. not be your stopping mm -hmm. and that's sort of like also thinking about how some zero waste habits or activities go back to like pre-colonial times and like a lot of Black and Indigenous folks have been doing zero waste practices for millennia, and some of those are actually being co-opted right now. Um, uh, and same thing. It's like, oh my god, eating food as if it's a new, it's a new phenomenon. And you're like, guys, <laughs> have you had Ethiopian food? It's a beautiful thing. Mm. <laughs> got vegan. So food. good. <laughs> so frustrating. The co-opting of movements is so frustrating. The co-opting for money, for money. Mm. Oh, yes. Kills me in my soul anyway. You're um as as you guys were talking, I'm just thinking about so I I went on a walk yesterday and I'm listening to um um the book Breaking Sweetgrass. <gasps> I don't know if you've both read it. <laughs> okay. oh, when I tell you <laughs> <laughs> so we're all fans wonderful yes. um so i was i was on the walk and I, i'm listening to it and i'm really taking my time reading through this book because i feel like it's so rich um everything she says is so rich and so i'm really taking my time and i'm i came across the part where she talks about this academic setting where someone was uh they they were proposing some sustainability idea and they had they had talked about it with the native elders in the community and one elder just kind of sat there and was like it sounds more like the sustainability model 
is more about them taking more and more because um, it's missing the idea of like giving back, right? And having that exchange and that respect. And I was just thinking about it and I was like, this is perfect because I'm talking to Lynn and Tony tomorrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think this conversation, these conversations about sustainability, zero waste, all these words and, you know, co-opting it, it really, I think we just really have to take a critical eye because, you know, on the surface, it may sound great, right? Like we're saving the planet. We love the planet, blah, blah, blah. But then everything that you both have been talking about is zero waste isn't really possible. Like plastic, plastic free, plastic is everywhere. <laughs> um, and talking about really reconnecting back to earth and community and thinking about what we give as humans and what we take as humans. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm just like really mentally making that connection, right, with what I was listening to from the book yesterday. And I love that. And I hope that soon enough, you'll able, you'll be able to meet with community members in person again and and do that work but also great that you've expanded globally because how else would we would we connected right so <laughs> that book is so beautiful i remember reading it like every chapter i was like <gasps> Like, this is it. This is this is all this is all I needed to read in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know about you and how you felt, you know, Lynn, Tony and Christian, how you felt when you're when you're going through that book. But I, it wasn't like it was a novel idea where you're like, wow, this is something I never heard before. It felt familiar, but like refreshing at the same time. Do you I don't know if you get what I'm I mean. Literally just going to say that. Yeah. Felt to me, I so I still haven't finished it because like you, I'm taking my time. Like I would read one chapter and be like, even though I want to continue, I'm like, I cannot. I need to sit and reflect <laughs> on what just happened. <laughs> Yeah. But it's funny because everything that I was reading, it wasn't like this ground shaking, earth shattering, like, oh my God, I never really thought about that. Some of it was, but I think some of it was just this coming back to what I already knew. Like a lot of it just brought back memories of when I was mm -hmm. a kid and just even things that I've never had words for, things that like I've felt or thought, but never vocalized because I thought it was silly or just didn't like, there's no vocabulary to talk about that sort of relationship or thing in our current society at least not in mine mm -hmm. so for me it was just like oh it's possible to i guess change the framework and really start to talk about things differently for me that was the biggest um i think change personally was that like i now have this like new way of thinking about things that like i don't automatically critique myself for i'm not like ah and you're just going and being like that little wishy-washy wishy in the clouds lynn like that's actually a reasonable thing to say and a reasonable thing to think okay, so give us an example like what's a reasonable thing like to say? talking to trees right okay <laughs> like um, and just even like the epiphany that I had before I read that book, because we had started our own garden, was that food is free. And let me let me repeat that. Let me repeat that. Food is free. The earth naturally grows things in a way that produces seeds so that more things can grow so that all of us can have enough to be nourished. And that is all free. That is all a gift. And then we, you know, so like the braiding sweetgrass then took that back to show me sort of like how we can give back to that process as opposed to just constantly taking. But like that concept of food is free was revolutionary for me because it really changed the way I thought about the systems we set up. It's so normal to go to the grocery store and buy your food. It's so normal to look at like a plant and be like, yes, those flowers cost $10. They're chopped and in a vase and they look nice and I would like to buy them for Mother's Day and they cost money. 
but to realize how absurd this is actually when you think about it something that the earth gives that we all need that is free we have somehow made it not and that that thought alone has just shifted the way i imagine our future and what it could be and what i would like to give my energy to in the future and the type of future i'd like to see because quite frankly like we could accept all the systems we've created as they are now but i don't think so <laughs> i'm sorry I'm but i won't that. be doing that this is ridiculous <laughs> Not me, not today. Right. Like a lot. And I think like people look at you like you've lost your mind when you say these things. Right? It's like, so true. Like, right. I, yeah. I, I literally told a bunch of doctors like food should just be free. Water should be free. And they, they're like, <laughs> yes. gasp of horror. Yeah. But like, if you think about it, to your point, Christian, about the liberation of cultures, societies, and us as a peoples, as humanity, all it is, is food just like, what? tell me what else it is. Because if we get back to a system wherein we feed the earth and the earth feeds us, what else is there? No, that's it. Like if that's we're it. not trying to like nickel and dime each other all the time because we're trying to struggle to live, if food is free, and I'm we could get into a housing conversation, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we nickel and diming each other for? Like, if we all have sustenance and if we can all nourish one another and take care of our water so we don't have to bottle it and then sell it to community anyways the crisis of capitalism it's just like we need to like we need to burn it to the ground <laughs> like it's just it's just that right and the same is true of plastic like all of these new revolutionary plastic things like biodegradable plastics compostable plastics oh my goodness like no miss yeah. me miss me with all of it it is literally just capitalism 2.0 it's like coca-cola went Oh, we can make more money if we just pretend we're green. Yeah. Branded. It's just, it's, it's insanity. But like, it's the insane, like capitalism is the insanity of thinking you can solve the problem with the same system, right? And it's very good at doing that. Like it, it, it makes a weird sort of sense to everyone. Maybe just because historically it's just how we've done things. I don't know. But like reading Braiding Sweetgrass was just like a huge moment of being like, no, no, we, mm -hmm. we don't need to keep doing this. There is another way of being in relationship with each other and the earth that is possible and necessary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just it's not, even, it's not even like we should. It's like we must or or this is not going to go on for very much longer. Mm. And by it's not, we're not going to go on for very much longer, which, you know, it might might actually happen, TBD. Um, you know, to kind of wrap things up because that was so much amazing passion. I love it. We could have probably 10, 15 episodes just on everything that we've touched on today. <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> yeah, sorry, you know, this is a lot, right? We're processing, we're kind of mentally chewing on this. I'm mentally chewing on it. Um, well, let's uh, break it down for you know folks who are listening, and you know, like if I don't know how you can't be fired up after listening to Len and Tony, but <laughs> if you are feeling fired up and you want to do something tangible, what what are some tools that you would want them to leave with that they can do to kind of you know start on this journey of shifting frameworks or making a change, in, whether individually or in their communities, anywhere. Want me to go first or looking at me like you want me to go first? You know, <laughs> I have a vague, I have a vague answer. People always ask, like, what are some specific tangible things? And my my specific tangible things are learn, listen, mm -hmm. listen, listen. Like listen first. Listen. Like start consuming voices that you don't usually listen to, like like Christian, for example, or who are some content creators that there's put so out good many. work. There's so many. Go read Braiding Sweetgrass. So the first thing I would Thomas, say like, is just like go read, yeah, read yeah. that book 
learn, learn outside your range of comfort. Yes. Yes. Learn and listen outside of your range of comfort. And then my second thing is create the changes. Like once you start to learn and once you start to realize the things you don't like, or maybe you're like, I don't think that's a good idea. Create the change yourself. And that sounds daunting and overwhelming. But what I mean by that is as much as we rely on governments to make laws and we constantly lobbying them to, you know, make changes that benefit communities, um, as much as that work is necessary, maybe this is me being cynical, but the more I realize in this space and just in the world, change happens when people are the change. Like sure, governments can create laws, but four years later, lo and behold, the law changes. So like, what's the point? More lasting change happens or has happened from my knowledge when different people have just decided, "Mm, I don't like how that works. I'm going to do something else. Whether that's a sustainable fashion brand is like, "Mm, I don't like how that works. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do something else. Or whether that's someone who started like a community garden and is like, I don't like how this food system works. Let me just build this whole community garden and have people come and learn and all these things. Sylvanaqua Farms, mm. great account. Oh my God, I love Sylvanaqua Farms. She's obsessed. So good. I just want, but, I, want, I want him to just, like, can you adopt me? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like there's so much power in creating the life for yourself and for your community that you want, that you don't always have to wait for other people to do it for you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, sure lobby the government and hope that they get on board but also like we are very powerful as a community and I we think, can do some things together yeah i think the thing i would i would like to leave people with i think somewhere along the way we somehow started to believe that humans were terrible which is a really strange thing to believe about ourselves but like we sort of believe that you know people are just only looking out for themselves and like you know they're just like like we've mm. we've just accepted i think in some ways that we just it is the systems are as they are and things are going to continue because you know just people are fundamentally in their core just maybe not as good as they need to be which is i think just so wrong like if there's one thing i would like to leave people with it's like everyone is by and large working towards you know supporting themselves and supporting other people and genuinely cares about people outside of themselves and cares about the environment and cares about the world like that is not unique to environmentalists it's not unique to anyone like that is a that is a fundamental characteristic of humanity that i think we've lost sight of and and so when lynn's talking about just like be the change like Yes. And have the faith that like, regardless of what it is you choose to do, and maybe even if it doesn't work, quote unquote, that the effort of moving in a direction of, you know, improving your life and improving the life of others is never going to be the wrong direction. Like it's always going to lead to something better. So just do the things and trust that the process, trust that the innate goodness in people will lead to the world we want to build because it will. But we have to have that faith, I think. So that's that's my one tidbit. I think you're psychic. I literally wrote that in an article. You know, we do live together. <laughs> <laughs> we share a lot of brain waves, I think. You share one brain sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. That's so beautiful. And I, um, you know, this is a global health podcast. And I guess just ending it with everything you've said and how it connects to not just ourselves, but our health, the health of our earth, the health of our communities. And so I hope that um, this is just a really good reminder for people to not only just kind of like jump into anything, but think a little critically, you know, take care of ourselves. Thank you, Lynn and Tony, for this conversation. 
As a reminder, you can reach them at info at plasticfreetoronto.ca um, or at plasticfreeto on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Oh, it's nice. Every you have the you have the handle handled the same on all those platforms. Um, yeah, thank you so much to both of you for being with us today and like sharing this space of conversation and in community. It's been really like energizing and just like so much joy to be around y'all. Even though we're talking about like these stressful topics, feel like you know like remembering that we do have, we are allowed or we can allow ourselves to feel some joy in all of this. And as a reminder, if you have any questions for us. You can reach us at info at globalcaveat.com or on Instagram and Twitter at globalcaveat. Yep. Thank you all to our listeners and supporters for helping this podcast run. And a special thank you to Cordell Glass, Hot Cocoa for producing our music. Thanks for listening and thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us.